Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. And welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me, um, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. I would love to hear from you. You have any comments, suggestions? Also, you email me when you want to get a prize because that's what I do. I give a lot of giveaways and books and tickets and all types of things. So follow on social media, and then you have to email your answer. Uh, to me. You can check out the show on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. If you miss the beginning or you come in the middle, all the shows are archived on those different platforms and many more. And so you can check them out there. Just do a search for Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys uh, or do a search for Joy Keys and maybe the guests and uh, the, the podcast will show up on those various platforms. Well, I got an interesting guy today, um, a bit of a nerd, if I will. I'll call him that. And I can say that because I'm a nerd as well. You guys know, a little nerdy here. And um, he has a master's degree in computer science from Georgia Institute of Technology. Um, And um, he has studied other things. And he comes from, I I guess I'll say, educational family. CJ Washington, good morning. Good morning, Joy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for agreeing to do the interview. Now, what coast? You're in Atlanta, so like, okay, you're. It's not too early for you because some people call from like the West Coast, and it's like eight o'clock in the morning. It's like, uh. <laughs> no, I'm up. I um, had my coffee, had a morning run. I'm good. To oh, go. okay. See, look at this, people. Morning run, everything healthy. And, and now he's getting us to read, so those are all good things. So this book, The Intangible, and let me tell you, there are a lot of intangible things going on in this book, things that people are trying to reach for that they may or may not get to. I, I don't want to give too much away, but let's start off with computer science and now a writer. Like, where did, that, where did the writing come in? Um, so the writing actually came before the computer science, interestingly enough. Um, so I, my, my bachelor's degree is in biology, and my intention was to go to medical school. And I realized in my, during my junior year of college that I wasn't interested in medical school. So I was okay. a little aimless after I graduated. I um, worked in industry for a little while. Um, I developed an interest in writing. Um, you know, try, I wrote some stuff, tried to get published, didn't really have any success with it. And at some point, I decided I want to go back to school and study computer science. So I went to Georgia Tech, got a master's degree, put my writing on hold. And when I finished Georgia Tech, I really I realized that I'd missed writing during that period. 
So mm-hmm. I was looking forward to getting back to it. I found a job, um, started writing, and that was the intangible. Now, do you, do you remember, um, like, writing when you were a kid? Do you remember a writer when you were younger that you really enjoyed and you, you thought this is maybe something I could do? Um, so, yeah, I, I did, you know, as a kid, I love choose your own adventure books. Um, mm-hmm. I just had mm-hmm. boxes of these choose your own adventure books. I absolutely <laughs> love Um, and I would try to write my own. I don't know how successful I was at writing those. And, you know, I, I always loved to read and writing was always something I was interested in. Um, And, you know, I don't know what sparked me to finally decide to sit down and attempt writing a novel. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I did, you know, I just fell in love with it. Well, I understand this was like a short story first, right? Is that that correct? No, it was never a short story. Or Phantom Phantom Pregnancy? What what was that? Was that a a, a novel as well? Yes, that was my first attempt at writing about the topic of false pregnancy, um, Mm -hmm. which is basically where a woman believes herself to be pregnant and has all of the symptoms of pregnancy, but is not pregnant. Um, Right, right. So that idea has been with me for a long time. And I sat down and tried to write it years ago. Um, And luckily, that project is in a drawer. Um, a lot of time would pass and different things would come together before I came to the intangible. Now there's a lot going on here. You got marriage, you got cheating, um, you got sex, uh, you got like techie talk in here for all the nerds, the, the math and the consciousness versus the non-conscious. So there's a lot of things in here for people. Tell the audience just in a little blurb what the book is about. So I would say the intangible, it's about two married couples who are struggling to cope with unique difficulties they find themselves facing. Uh, Following a miscarriage, Amanda, who I mentioned earlier, she develops a medical condition that tricks her body into thinking she's pregnant. Um, A second character, Marissa, is a mathematician who, following a loss of her own, becomes obsessed with communicating with the dead. Her husband, Patrick, is a neuroscientist, and he's dealing with the disintegration of his marriage to Marissa and also trying to help Amanda to understand what's happening to her. Mm-hmm. And then we have Derek. I, I don't yes. want to say – we got De- – De- people, watch Derek. Derek is, like, <laughs> undercover, like, low-key, but a lot of stuff that happens to Derek. You don't think nothing's going on with him? Just, just watch Derek. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to say too much. But um, so, you know, people nowadays think that uh, marriage uh, doesn't really work, that people have these open relationships, um, or some people have, like, one committed person, and then um, they they have polygamous things going on. What did you learn about marriage when you were growing up? Hmm. So, you know, I, I've never really um, considered the idea of, like, open marriage um, or anything, you know. So, you know, I, I, I don't even – I don't know if it could work. Um, I'm sure it does work for some people, but it's never something I considered. So I would say that, I, you know, I learned that marriage is really about a commitment, um, 
you have kids and you raise your children together. Mm-hmm. Um, that would describe my own marriage. Um, but yeah. So what about the cheating and also trust? Because that's something actually that's really big in the, uh, the book because partners from each side end up following their partners. Where does trust come in in a marriage? How do you develop trust in a marriage? Right. So, yeah, that and that's something that the book kind of um, does explore. You know, once trust is broken, it's really hard to regain trust. And, you know, that is kind of a theme um, in the book. You know, I, 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 I would say that, you know, um, in healthy relationships, we tend to trust each other. Um, Mm -hmm. Hopefully that trust will never be betrayed. Um, You know, when it is, it's hard to come back from that. So I I think, you know, with most marriages, trust is there in the beginning. That's why you're together. And as long as neither partner does anything going too far to betray that trust, of course, people are going to hurt each other. Um, the trust can remain. The question is, when it's broken, how do you get it back? And that's right. it's an open question. It's tough. Some people mm-hmm. seem Everybody's to get different. through it and others don't. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another question, too. Like, how long do you stay in a marriage that is having problems? And both well, the various characters are dealing with that. Um, and myself, I was like, okay, so you're not going to leave now? And then I'll read another chapter Wait, you're not leaving yet? I'm like, <laughs> you know, so um, that that's an issue as well. Now, the women characters, like you talked about Amanda and Marissa, they both had some serious issues. You know, and back in the day, they probably would have been in an institution. I, I mean, that's how women would have been treated. They, they would have been an institution. Um, I don't want to necessarily give away why Marissa might have been an institution, but let's just say she has some stuff she's going through, and – when you find out, she, you might think, oh, she might need to be institutionalized as well. But um, they're not, thank God, for, I guess, today's time. So one of the conversations you have in the book is, like, science and reality, um, also the church. Uh, and that's a big issue right now in our, in our country, like the disbelief of science. Where do you stand on that? Like, how does science help us? Does it hurt us? Or should we have just faith? Yeah, you know, I'm really disheartened by the, tri- by the kind of prevalent, the prevalent, prevalent, I'm sorry, distrust <laughs> of experts and scientists um, at the moment. You know, so science does not tell us, you know, um, factually, it doesn't necessarily tell us what we should believe, but it does tell us where the evidence lies. Um, so if we're trying to seek the truth, because, you know, seeking the, seeking the truth is not about knowing the truth. It's about finding the best case for um, a set of facts or beliefs. And that's really now, what you know, you sound does. like those test makers. You know, when you take the test, like I had to take a test for my license for social work, it's like, what's the best answer? 
Like there are four answers here, but what is the best answer? You know, that used to be so yeah. frustrating when I would practice to take the test for my license because it'd be like, oh my God, in real life, this is what I'm probably going to do because this is what, you know, I feel is best, but you're telling me this is the best answer in the book. So sometimes it's hard for people, you know, there could be more than one answer, even based on science, reality, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's one of the difficulties in public discourse. If you have two people, one person is willing to tell you, this is, I'm telling you the fact. This is going to happen, mm-hmm. and this is why it's happening. And then another person will tell you, you know, I, 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 I can't say with certainty, but the evidence suggests that mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And a lot of people will listen to the person who's very confident and assured, and they may not know what they're talking about. You know, so yeah. I think that's one of the difficulties of pitting, especially when you bring politics into it, pitting science against beliefs that people have. And that's really what is happening. I think power and money make people look knowledgeable or can make people look knowledgeable and more people follow them. And you say, well, if 100 people over here following this dude Maybe he knows what he's talking about, and my cousin Sarah said he knows what he's talking about, so I'm going to go over here. But then you got another guy or woman on the left side saying, but, you know, if you touch the sink and then you rub your nose, you're probably going to get a cold. Hmm. But there's only 10 people over there. I don't, what? I'm not going to go over there. Um, but um, 50 of your friends get a cold. You know, it's like, hmm, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the side of science myself, um, but not like absolute, like in terms of, like I said, there has to be um, some leeway for environmental issues that like emotional or other stuff that's going on with people. You know, people aren't just black and white science. Um, but that that's just something that you also bring up in, in the book. It is also talked about. Uh, do you want to read some of the book? We, we, I, I, is that still okay? Sure, yeah. I can do okay. that. So I'll read um, part of Chapter 1. And here Amanda is learning that her mother and sister are going to visit Atlanta where Amanda lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meredith and I, her mother said, and Amanda was relieved by the changing subject, are coming to Atlanta this weekend. Clear your calendar for wedding dress shopping. Amanda nearly dropped the phone. The heat of panic flared in her cheeks and raced down her neck. Her hands tingled. She took the stairs by twos as she asked, Why Atlanta? Charlotte is right there. She wants to go to the shop where you bought your dress. Remember how fun it was? Amanda didn't remember any fun. Meredith, 15 years old with a fashion sense to match, had talked more than the consultant. Their mother had bullied Amanda out of her first choice. Amanda's best friend, Beverly, had complained that it should have been just the two of them. And Amanda hadn't thought to invite Derek's mother, who'd acted as if she'd been excluded from the world. Amanda flung open the bathroom door and looked at herself in the full-length mirror. She turned to inspect her reflection and profile, then slowly lifted the hem of her shirt. The stretch marks tracing her sienna skin seemed more pronounced than they had just yesterday. She looked pregnant. Baby bump would not be denied. I'm out of town this weekend, she lied, trying to keep the alarm out of her voice. Oh, no, we'll reschedule. Maybe the weekend of the 16th? 
Would a baggy sweatshirt hide her bump? She hadn't told her mother she was pregnant, nor had she told her about the miscarriage. There was no way she was going to tell her, miscarriage be damned, that she was still pregnant. Well, not actually pregnant. She'd had two ultrasounds, and there was no fetal heartbeat and no fetus. But, especially at night, and this was incontrovertible to Amanda, she felt the baby move. Amanda hadn't told her mother so many things that she didn't know where to start. She absolutely was not going to start with that. Mm. How do you tell your parents you're pregnant, you don't, you're not really pregnant? How do you talk to somebody about something that is intangible, you know? <laughs> um, what do you think, how do you talk to your kids about something that maybe you can't tell them the whole story? That is, that's a really good question. I, I have a five-year-old, and, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if I do the best job. Um, and the first thing that comes to my mind is um, something that happened maybe a year or two ago. So, you know, I, I'm really interested in astronomy, and I was getting her interested in it. Um, she loved the pink planet. I showed her pictures of the pink planet. And we watched different videos on YouTube about astronomy. And we saw mm-hmm. a video that told us that the sun is going to explode. And I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, four billion years, I, I, I could be way off. And, yeah. you know, it's like the sun is going to explode. Uh-oh. So, you know, I didn't want to tell her, no, the sun is not going to explode, because I don't want her to you know, learn it later and then look back and say my father um, wasn't honest with me. Lie to me, yeah. And actually, I wasn't honest with her. I I wasn't honest with her. I I told her that the sun would explode, but that Uh before that happened, we would figure out how to move the planet to another part of space and another sun, and nothing would change. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I I don't know if that was the best way to handle um, not telling her the whole story. Yeah. Um, but it was just me um, on, you know, ad-libbing there. What about Santa Claus and the Easter, you know, and the Tooth Fairy? Have you talked to her about that yet? Yes, and, you know, she believes in Santa Claus. She hasn't lost a okay. tooth yet, but um, she's waiting for the Tooth Fairy. It's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. A friend of hers just lost a tooth, and I was informed that $5 is the going rate See? for the Tooth Fairy. Is the going rate, um, yeah. So a lot of inflation there, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I loved um, Santa Claus and Christmas growing up, yeah. and, you know, I wanted her to have that. And one thing that has surprised me as a parent is that I've not been completely comfortable um, telling her about Santa Claus, you know. Mm, um, and why is that? You know, I, I guess just kind of teaching her to believe in this magic um, that isn't real See, that goes back to um, the scientist in you. Yeah. Could it spill into other things for her? Um, just this ability to believe in things that just are not real. Um, and, and, you know, I think some of that's influenced by, you know, what's happening in our world. Um, you know, I think 15 years ago, maybe I wouldn't have felt this way, but I do now. But mm-hmm. despite it, I, you know, we keep up the Santa Claus. She's super excited about Santa Claus coming. Actually, the first year, um, you know, we told her Santa Claus was coming and she understood. 
you know, um, we don't have a chimney. So I told him he'd come in through the back porch. She was like, he's coming in my house? And I was like, yeah, he's going to build your toys. She was like, but I don't know him. So she was a little, not skeptical that he existed, but skeptical of a stranger coming into our home while she's sleeping. Mm -hmm. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so we do Santa Claus. We do the Tooth Fairy. Um, We love that stuff here. But I do have some discomfort that I didn't expect to have around it. Yeah, we learn a lot about ourselves being parents. um, And that's something that's also talked about in the book. Uh, some of the characters become parents, and they have to deal with, um, well, I'll just say many characters deal with death and grief, and they're dealing with it in different ways. Uh, have you had death in your life, and how have you dealt with the grief of it? Yeah, so I, I have had um, death in my life. I, I think the the, the hardest thing for me has been losing my grandparents, whom I was mm-hmm. very close to. Um, okay. One of them passed away, and the other one kind of unexpectedly passed away six months later. Um, so were they married? Was, were they the married couple that they both oh, passed away? Oh, yeah. They have been married. I think they've been married 61 years. Mm-hmm. You know there's a thing like they broken were, heart, like a broken heart syndrome, like that literally I they – Mhm. Mhm. I believe that happened. Yeah. So that was um, really tough, and you know, I, you know, writing for me. One, one thing I do with my writing is I like to explore um, difficult topics and things we have to deal with in life. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily find the answers. So I, I, you know, how do I cope with it? You know, I I don't know that I necessarily coped well. Um, just kind of do, you know, just kind of do the best I, I can. I know that they wanted me to um, be a happy person. So, I, you know, I tried to return to, you know, my baseline, you know, emotional state, you know, mm-hmm, in part for mm-hmm. them. That was helpful for me. Um, but, yeah, you know, my characters are struggling with these things. You know, I don't think they always get it right. Um, there is some messiness, um, and that's what I find life to be. Now, well, interesting, okay, you're an African-American writer, and so I'm reading the book, and I've read, oh, my God, I can't even tell you how many books I read, but I, I read a lot of books, and the show is mostly focused on African-American writers. And the issue of race, really only popped his head like once or twice or maybe three times in the book. And actually I had to go back after I was at the near the end and I was like, wait, who they did say that so-and-so was black. So she, she's black. Why is that? Was that purposeful that you did not talk about that? You did not want that because there's an interracial relationship that happens, but you don't really say this is an interracial relationship. Was that purposeful for you not to bring this up? No, it it wasn't purposeful. And what I think it came down to for me is that there were so many issues in the book um, and really trying to explore them. Um, Mm -hmm. I I maybe felt like I didn't have a lot of space for other things. Okay. Um, you know, when it comes to race in literature, 
You know, I, I think it's very important to explore um, race in fiction. Um, and I would definitely like to um, do it at some point with one of my books. Um, in, in this case, I, I would just say I was, you know, the, the things that I was really focusing on in the book. Um, so Marissa's grief and grief and her obsession mm-hmm. with communicating with her, that really didn't have anything to do with her race. And nor did Amanda's false pregnancy. And I was really trying to keep a tight focus on you know, those two, those Subject, aspects yeah. of the life. Yeah. No, and that is just what the reason I bring it up is because a lot of African-American writers have come on and said that publishers have wanted them to have this, like, overly dramatic focus on race, kind of, um, you know, that's not necessarily what they came to write about. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm... Um, it, it's it's cool in a way that you didn't bring it up because in a lot of cases, writers have told me people want them to bring it up and want them to stir the pot around race. And your book wasn't focused on that, even though some of the characters are black and some are white, you know what I mean? So um, yeah. like, like you said, you were focusing on the fake pregnancy and also, you know, the issue of, again, back to science, the math, and how Marissa is using that to deal with her grief. I feel that's what she's doing. Um, and uh, that's just me. You guys got to read it and, and see what you, you guys think um, about it. So what's coming up for you next, though? We talked about a little bit before we got online. Well, you want to tell the audience what you're going to be working on next? Sure. So I'm currently working on book two. I'm just about um, there with having a rough draft. And it's about what happens when a prolific killer for hire learns that he has a terminal illness. Um, he decides that the only way to save his soul is to confess his crimes to authority. And the novel explores the fallout from his confessions on two characters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, how, how do you write? Are you a computer guy or do you handwrite with a pen? And where do you write? What What is your space you're in when you decide to start writing? So I'm a computer guy, which is a little surprising because when I first started, um, it was strictly, you know, handwriting with a pen. And I thought that's the only way I could write. You know, when I would type mm. it up, I, you know, that would be kind of the revision process. But somehow, um, probably becoming conscious of paper usage and that kind of stuff, I moved to the computer. And I now feel like that's the only way I can write. Um, straight on the computer. So and I'm now, when really when you're on... when you're writing, are you like in the office? Like when you're like, or you have to go outside? You have to listen to music. So I I basically will write anywhere I am. Um, you know, I mentioned we have a five year old, so she does not. Um, she's not a big supporter of the writing process. So um, there's a place that I'll go to kind of get away. Um, That's like a little office and write. Um, Yeah, I actually did write um, recently on um, paper once we went to the beach. So I didn't want to try to, you know, take my laptop to the beach. So, you know, when I got a few minutes, I pulled out a notebook and wrote on paper, and that was nice. But, yeah, I, I, I write anywhere. I, um, you know, my first choice would be writing, like, on the beach or, 
in a cabin in the mountains. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I write from home. Yeah. Now, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, ah, a few things are kind of coming to me. Um, I, I'm a, you know, my background is kind of artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, I would love to be able to create like a super intelligence to help me understand the world better. Um, so I guess that would battle time travel. I, you're I think not worried I would... about like, go ahead, go, sorry, go, go ahead. Oh, I, no, you go ahead. Cause I think I am worried about it. I think I'm worried about what you were going to ask. What about Terminator? Like Sarah Connor yeah. Chronicles? Like, dude, what? Huh? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a good thing that I don't have superpowers, so we don't have to worry about that. Because I tell you, I'm nowhere okay. near knowing how to create a super intelligence. Okay. Um, but you but know yeah, they are. That, They're very close. <laughs> the field is moving quickly. It really is. It's, it's exciting and it's scary. I remember I saw this robot, like, do these um, gymnastic moves with such flexibility, like, whatever gears they had, it, like, it did flips, and it, it, it like, did cartwheels. It was, like, doing all this stuff, and I was, like, ooh. And now we have, you know, in our home, we have televisions we can talk to, uh, you know, security systems. We can work with our phones, all these things. So it is, it is on the edge. Um, if you had a hundred dollars, what would you do with it? Huh, if I had a hundred dollars, I would. Um, I, I'm actually going to take a page from my daughter. She was asked the same question and brought home an assignment, and she said that she would give it to someone who did not have money. Okay. I'm going to learn from her. Yeah. An altruistic heart. I'm sure she got that from her parents. <laughs> well, we're getting um, it from her, one of the two. We do. You know, as parents, we learn both ways. It, 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 we give them stuff, and then they kind of ignite and um, open our hearts a lot of times to things that um, we might have in us, but it just really, I think, opens us up more. I think about the issue of love, like it, loving a child is completely different than loving uh, another an adult. Uh, for me, I feel it's like you would lay yourself on the tracks for them, you know. Um, I'm not saying you wouldn't lay yourself on your tracks for your wife, but I don't know. What do you think? Is there a difference between, like, loving an adult um, and loving your child? Yeah, I, I would say there is, only because, you know, uh, my experience, and I think a lot of people's experience, when you have a child, it's something, it's a love that you haven't experienced before. So, you know, even if you can't articulate it, because I, you know, I want to say that I would lay my, um, lay down on the track for my wife and I would do the same for my daughter. But yeah, there's something unique about, you know, having a child and your love for him or her. You know, in the book, one of the characters who, and this is interesting, the male character becomes very intimate emotionally. Not, not only people get the wrong idea, but it's emotional love with, with a child. And, and, and you show the journey of that, that male character. I don't want to give away who that is, but that is also uh, unusual because normally that would be the, like a woman, a female character in that spot. What, what made you decide to put the male character in that spot? Uh, well, you know, he stepped in when he had to because no one else – 
was going to step in. And mm-hmm. in the process of stepping in, it became very intimate for him. So he may have started in this place where someone needs to do this, I'm going to do this, to I can't imagine doing anything but this. I can't imagine not doing this. Right, right, right. So uh, last question, peanut butter or jelly or turkey and cheese? Peanut butter and jelly. And what makes a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich? The bread. Um, the you know, bread. I can't tell you what about the bread, but I know good bread when I taste it. <laughs> I know good bread when I taste it. Is it like the white wonder bread or is it like, I don't even know if they make that anymore. Or is it like whole grain, like 10, 12 grain from whole foods type of thing? You know, I, I really work hard to enjoy the whole grain, but white bread, um, just tastes better to me. <laughs> tastes better to you. Okay, is it the strawberry, grape? What kind of jelly are you? Like peach? What, what's your jelly? Strawberry. Strawberry. Okay, and do you have like the pieces of strawberries, or is it like kind of like the jelly jelly, like like just jelly, like no no fruit pieces? Jelly you know jelly. what I mean? Yeah, the I would rather jelly? either eat strawberries <laughs> or eat strawberry jelly, but not kind okay. of to together. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here first, people. Just jelly, not like the jam type of, you know, from the farmer's market type of thing. You know, we just claim. <laughs> CJ Washington, thank you so much for coming on this morning. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Um, so I, I am on Twitter and I am on Instagram. And I do have a personal website with uh, that people can use to contact me. Um, and I that's love doing PJ Washington. Work, so, yes. Okay. Good. Good. I'm going to give away some uh, some copies of your book. So uh, I want to encourage people to follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Again, check me out on Facebook Saturday mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram Saturdays with Joy Keys so that you could possibly win a copy of The Intangible by C.J. Washington. Thank you so much, C.J., for coming on. You can go back to sleep now or go rough and tumble okay. with your child, <laughs> whatever whatever's so on, on your plate. I'll talk to you soon, okay? I've enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, if you've missed the beginning of the um, interview for some reason, you can check us out on uh, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, uh, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. The show will be archived in about 15 minutes or so. Um, I encourage you guys to follow me so that you can win a copy of The Intangible. And, again, there's a lot going on in the book. you got marriage. you got death. you got science, cheating. you got sex. I want to say that because I know sometimes that's important. Like, okay, is this boring? Um, No. (laughs) So, um, and uh, fake pregnancy, you know, that's something like you don't read about every day. Um, That's in there, and that's really interesting. And actually that's a true thing that can happen to a woman. They can have um, all the symptoms of, like, being pregnant, but they're not pregnant. Like, their body will change and everything. So um, take a look, a glance at the intangible. Um, or if you want to try to win a copy, follow me on the social media. And I hope to hear from you next Saturday. Um, you can always call in uh, 516-387-1745.
That's the call-in number. It's the same for every show. It doesn't change. Um, and you can always check out the shows at www.blogtalkradio.com slash joykeys. And email me, SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. I will talk to you later. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for Greatest of All Time, as in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.